Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Love Selling Hate Sales. You know, the current market environment is presenting a lot of challenges for organizations, especially those playing in the software SaaS technology landscape. And we're hearing all about recessions and cuts in spending and those things. And oftentimes when that happens, the hammer starts to drop in departments like marketing and sales. And we see rounds of layoffs, stuff like that is already happening in the marketplace today. Well, in this show, obviously we have a very heavy sales lean, but the other side of the coin is just as important when we think about the marketing angle of things. And what's most interesting about what happens when there are shifts in the market and you come out of what was a huge bull market over the last couple of years, especially in the SaaS technology space, what are those things that companies should be doing? How should they be thinking differently? And today our guest is Daniel Gogler. He's currently a VP and principal at Shift Paradigm, also a former chief marketing officer with PFL. Daniel, thank you for joining the show. I'm excited to jump in on this topic with you. Thanks for having me, Josh. Yeah. So let's, let's dive right in, right? The market today is going through a pretty fundamental shift. We're going into what a lot of people are calling recessions. If like, like me, a lot of folks are on LinkedIn, right? And we're seeing these massive rounds of layoffs. So what should companies be focusing on today when it comes to their go to market strategy? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting whether we're in a recession or just really times of uncertainty is what I think we're, we're really experiencing right now. And if you're in sales or marketing or any uh, company, you're just seeing a lot of activity happen in interest rates increasing, uh, the Fed tightening, uh, layoffs happening, maybe at, at companies, you know, or friends. And then you're also seeing some hiring in other sectors. And so there's just a lot of, uh, uncertainty on what's going on out there. And I think what we can bring as marketers and sellers is some level of understanding to our customers, right? And how can they succeed in this environment with our product or solution? Now to do that, I believe that really comes down to something that will help you win, whether you're in these uncertain times or not, which is, it's really a focus on what is, who is your customer and what is their problem and how do we help them? And going beyond just the focus of what are the tactics to get that logo acquisition or to drive that revenue number, but what are the problems that they're really experiencing and how do we relate to that? Well, when you think about, you know, oftentimes, especially at the executive level tactics seem to be like front and center and people almost tend to lose sight of the strategy and the planning, right? So if you take a step back and put yourself in the seat of a CMO or even in the seat of where you are with many of your clients right now, what are some of the things you're telling them to take a step back and look at as opposed to just diving right into, hey, let's throw more money into paid advertising, whatever it may be? Well, you're exactly right. Like, so in uncertain times, uh, it's always, it feels like more with less is the answer that we frequently uh, get told, whether we're in marketing or sales, just, uh, you got to pick up the phone a few more times or you got to do a few more things. Um, but you're not getting the extra dollars. You're not getting the resources to do that. And so this is where, you know, the, the thought of slow down to speed up or in just really being strategic about what it is we're focused on. And in order to do that, we have to have a lot of clarity on what it is we solve and who we solve it for. Make, picking up that phone call and calling 10 people who are unqualified or do not fit your ICP is not going to move the needle significantly. In fact, it's just going to churn and it's going to burn out uh, the, their sales team, our marketing efforts, and we're going to spend the limited dollars we have on those things, for example. 
So that, that focus, you know, I think is, is, the, is the force multiplier. And it's very hard in uncertain times because we think of like we got to throw out a lot of more tactics, a lot more uh, effort into just doing more um, instead of just well, what is the right thing um, and focusing on that process instead. Well, you know, the first thing you said was let's focus on the customer. And that's easy to say, but what does that really mean? And mm-hmm. it's interesting. I had last week a gentleman named Nigel Green on the show, or excuse me, Nigel Thomas on the show. And a few months back, a gentleman named Craig Capola. And both of them, when they were ramping up their companies, you know, as startups, they just canvassed the market to listen to what people wanted, right? Just talking mm-hmm. to people, having, they weren't trying to sell anything. They were just trying to understand what does the market need? What do people want? If you're a business that already has, hundreds, if not thousands of customers, that seems like an easy thing to do. Have some some CS, some executives, some salespeople, pick up the phone, just have some dialogue with the customers and kind of understand where they are right now. What what other things would you do? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you really have that empathy and understanding and thinking about like, well, how do I help my customer feel special? If they are my only customer, I am in the seat with them, helping them succeed in maybe this very narrow area of their business or maybe very broad area of our business. But nonetheless, we are, we feel like we are part of their internal team to solve that problem. And so, you know, this helps them when they do sign a deal with them. Uh, they almost feel like they won something, like they brought you on, like they, they're winning because of that, because of it's like bringing on a new hire. They should share that same sort of excitement, not settle into like a buyer's remorse because we know them at that, that level. You know, having lots of conversations is a, a great start to understanding and bringing that together, um, both with marketing and the sales team is a priceless activity to just to understand like, like who it is the market and how do we solve that problem? I think too often what the, the, what I see is companies are drowning though, because they're trying to find a way they fit rather than saying, no, here is where I really can help you. And so, that boiling it back to, uh, I hear all these needs from the customer. I could potentially help you in uh, 10 of those areas, but the one that I can really help you in is here. And if you can gain that clarity with your marketing, your positioning, with your outreach, with that sales effort, and that here's the value we're in deliver, that is what that focus means. Yeah, focus on value, I think, is incredibly important, especially as people are ratcheting down and I always like getting narrow, right? I I like to say that niche wins, but even in times like this, like getting narrow in terms of what you're trying to solve for someone. And if that's a value equation, I was meeting with a group that I advise for on the weekly. And we had, we talked about this concept last week of you only have so many arrows in your quiver, right? And when you pull out those arrows, you need to understand if it meets a need. And if it does, what is the value? Because if it just meets the need by itself, then you're only halfway there. If there is some tangible business value attached to that, then you really have something that you can move on. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I agree with all of it. <laughs> so, uh, wise words. I, I think that's that's the the hardest part um, in uncertain times. Is we have a revenue number, we have goals. We, you know, if we're in leadership position, we're worried about: can, are we going to make payroll, or what are those impacts? Um, that discipline, I think, is the exercise that we need to practice in every single day. I, I think we can also bring that to 
our customers, right? And yeah. so that helping them focus because they're feeling the same challenges no matter what area of the business they work on. Um, most likely, they're they're not getting their their hiring plans have been changed, their budgets have been changed, um, or their fear that they might change. And so it's focusing, helping them narrow that down to that niche thing that what really matters. And frequently, that's a process that most people aren't real good at in these when you're starting to feel the stress. And I know for, for my, myself as one, like I have to take a discipline and taking a moment to write down like what are all the pieces and put it into a list and say, what is the impact? What is the effort? What is the results? And how does that relate to what my goals really are? And if I don't, I'm worried about all these things, the stress increases and I feel like I have more pressure and I have to do more. Um, and in all, in reality, I'm just spinning and going nowhere. Well, you touched on something important there. We should probably talk about a little bit. You said, what's the process of doing that? Well, oftentimes process isn't sexy regardless of what market conditions look like, but how can refinement or optimization of process help companies win in times of uncertainty? I think that's a great point um, to, to think about. You know, I, I always use a phrase is think process, not people. And I use that primarily when uh, targets are missed. Um, the first response is to blame people and not to inspect the process in which we're going to. Is it right? Does it meet the needs of our buyers? Does this help us get to where we want to go? In terms of process development, you know, it's also does it align with that focus on the customer? Uh, it, how much friction are we adding uh, unnecessarily for our, ourselves? And it doesn't, it delivers no tangible value. And so I found myself numerous times one of the most beneficial activities I can do is called zero based budgeting. Start as if I were to start to build this from scratch, what would it look like? And for that maniacal focus, and then add back in the necessary things that I know I have to do for my finance team, for my management, et cetera. Um, and if you can simplify that process so you can explain it simply, both internally and externally, and focus on what the value is in each step of that process, it, you're setting your team and yourself up to, uh, to, to win and to get there a lot quicker rather than to just try to run through a process blindly. It seems, and this seems so obvious, like it's like, you know, this isn't rocket science, but too often we find like, oh, we're not enabling uh, the folks in our organization to run with that, even though they know like this is uh, something that doesn't add a lot of value or they don't know the value in it. Um, they're just executing on it and inserting friction uh, throughout the process and, and making that sale, making that value delivery even harder on themselves. Can you provide an example of something that, that companies might be doing and not even really noticing it that's providing friction to their customer? Uh, yeah, you know, th this happens... Uh, a uh, hundred uh, different ways. Um, I'm trying to think of a really simple uh, sto story I could tell right at the moment. And uh, I haven't purchased much, made big purchases lately. So that's what's... <laughs> um, well, there's cool. a lot of chatter on the web and LinkedIn and whatnot. You know, gated content was a big thing for a long time, right? And there's all this back and forth on, is gating content the right way? Do we just give people what they want when they want it? Would that be an example? Yeah, I mean, I think gated content, uh, you know, how we think about uh, what the actions are, are being done uh, on leads th throughout the process, uh, all is uh, part of adding that friction, right? When you think about 
doing more a lot of times that can add more friction uh, to the buyer rather than uh, reduce it. And so whether that be with gated content, whether that be how much the frequency in which I'm sending emails rather than doing one really thoughtful email, um, those all add frictions to the pro- friction to the process um, that make it just more confusing and more chance for things to get lost uh, in that in that process. And not only does it, it takes time on our side uh, to on the marketing or sales side, but it also takes time on the buyer's side. And so we find people are exhausted by the time they get through um, the process frequently. Um, this also can look, you know, we, we have a lead goal, right? We need to, we need to, we need to score more leads up. And so we're putting more friction on our salespeople to sort through more leads. Um, it also can uh, look the, the, the other direction. The friction is too high for the standard of lead. Like we're trying to make over qualify our buyer before we give them two sales, right? This lead is, has to exhibit X number of points and being rigorous in that. And so we just have to take a very much a, I like that zero-based budgeting approach to like, well, what is the right thing? How does this deliver value? And how do we optimize um, for that value delivery? How would you start with the zero-based budgeting approach? Yeah, so I think it starts with the end in mind, right? So where are we trying to go? And I typically start with a sheet of paper. I don't like to do it on digital form. Uh, and I just kind of walk out like, what are the steps I would take to to get from A to B? And uh, once you've outlined, uh, you know, a left flow chart or however you want to process it all, the bulleted list, whatever works for you, then add back in, okay, well, what are the requirements along the way I need to meet from a customer standpoint? Okay, well, what what will, what what do they need? What do I need from a, an internal standpoint? And then be very challenging in asking the question, why? Why does this exist? What and what is the value on each and every one of those step points throughout that process to get from A to B? Interesting. So when you were talking earlier, you, you were getting into a little bit of that buyer process friction that sometimes gets created. And several months ago, I had Aaron Ross, who is the author of Predictable Revenue out of the early Salesforce days. And for those of you that don't know, Predictable, predictable Revenue basically talks about specialized areas along the sales funnel, right? So the SDR does the prospecting and the outreach. The account executive is responsible for closing. They make a handoff to customer success who is responsible for the renewal, right? So that's, that's the high level concept there. Do you think that that model and, and Aaron even said at the time that, you know, that was 15, 20 years ago. So it's things change. But do you think that too many organizations are hanging on to that model and it's creating friction in the process? I, I think we, you know, process is a blessing and a curse, right? And I mm-hmm. think uh, we too often lean on process in, in as an excuse, not as um, a reason for why we're actually uh, getting to where we want. And so examining these processes, being able to just really look at uh, being able to be authentic with our customers on like, here is why the process exists and just honest with our internal teams and having a conversation on why these steps are, are, are absolutely necessary um, within that process. And there's a lot, I think in terms of predictable revenue that that model worked. And so you can't argue with what it was at the time today, that model is not working the same way. And the reason is our inboxes are fuller. We're, we have learned uh, to avoid uh, much of that. And our guard is is higher because of 
uh, some of the systems and processes where we're built in. And so this, it's really at a point of where it's forcing us to reevaluate, you know, how do, how do we do that? There is still predictable revenue models, but by the time it's published in a book, most of the time you're on the, the laggard curve of it, not on the innovative curve. And so as marketers and salespeople, we need to figure out like, how do we be on the curve the, on the way up? Uh, not the one that is declining that we, you know, which is where I would see predictable revenue today. For sure. Well, I'm curious, let's put yourself back in the CMO seat for a minute because the CMO is a target for a lot of sales outreach, marketing outreach, et cetera. I, I imagine what made you buy? Yeah. You know, I think that the real uh, component that started the conversation was a relationship, right? I had some uh, understanding relationship with the organization or someone connected to that relation, that organization. A lot of times that came actually from a customer, uh, the, the organization that was trying to sell to me, someone who can be really authentic and is not trying to sell me. Um, you know, as marketers, we typically don't like to be sold to. We have an aversion to it. We're also very critical of marketing, ironically, um, and, and how we should be marketed to. But that authentic conversation, and I think this is, you know, today's age, uh, you know, there's some conversations about dark social, like where do you get your information? Whereas that's existed for a long time. It's just now the networks have broadened and they, and they're, they're changing. So this is not on Facebook. Um, it may be in LinkedIn or something like that, in the, but it's in a private chat. Um, these are conversations that are behind the scenes with your network. And so almost all the buying decisions I made started off with a conversation of like a challenge I'm having with a peer. And having a conversation with other um, these peers around how they're solving that problem and a connection to a, um, a vendor and then validation of that through all off channel, all behind the scenes that the company is not from company marketing materials. Interesting. So if the relationship, the relation, it sounds like the relationship is starting even maybe even the thought process that you have a challenge, right? You might be talking to someone about something they're doing their business and that might be the spark for you to say, oh, wow, that's going on. And that could be even as far back as problem identification. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of this is sparked with every business likes to think they're extremely unique. We actually all really are facing the same sort of problems, you know, and there is, um, it's, so it's 90% the same, 10% different, but that 10% matters a lot. And right. so job as a CMO is to be able to say, my problem looks a lot like this. How do I learn from others who have done this? Or how do I innovate? And then how do I innovate within that 10% to really maximize, you know, um, the results that we get from there? And that it typically happens, you know, in a collaborative process. It's not uh, a CMO goes in his office and closes the door and comes out with a marketing strategy they deliver. It's collaboration with his team. It's collaboration with uh, potentially their customers. It's collaboration with his peer group, et cetera. It's collaboration with the C team uh, to get to that that r- real identification, like how do we really have a unique value prop? And, and the best companies um, are doing this. You know, they're figuring out how... How do they have these conversations with their customers in such an authentic way? Um, and they're building communities um, around this and in 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 supporting the dark social rather than running and being afraid of it. All right. So, so two questions on that, right? Mm-hmm. The first part is, did you ever buy anything purely on an outbound outreach, whether it's 
sales or marketing. I don't care. Something that came to you. <clears throat> That's one. And then the second piece of it is, was it because you were in the market and they caught you at the right time? Or did anyone ever like bring you all the way into problem identification stage? So I think uh, I can answer there's twice I bought something that was on a pure outbound. First one was a colossal failure, probably one of the largest failures of my career in terms wow. of a, a re- re- return on ROI. But the promise was there. And this was very early. I'll tell a quick story on uh, before everyone was talking about intent. This dates me, but early 2000s, we were approached by a, a small company called Yahoo!, and they talked about how they knew everything that happened um, in the ecosystem because of all the properties they, they had access to. And so they were able to basically look at the traffic on our website and we were able to do banner retargeting based across all their different properties on people who exhibited not just visiting behavior, but the actual ones who were the ones that were spending money with me. And it's the first time I'd ever heard that pitch. I thought this is brilliant. This has got, there's no way it can't work. Brought it to the, but the investment was significant as was Yahoo because Yahoo didn't do small deals. And so amount out there, but it was enough. I had to take it to my CEO and CFO, get sign off on the budget. We all bought in and we signed up, had to sign a, a multi-month agreement on ad spend and uh, that campaign yielded zero. Um, wow. <laughs> so Unbelievable. Absolutely zero. Got nothing. So we were maybe a little early on. Ouch. Uh, uh, on the models there, but, uh, you know, look today, um, and there's many successful intent companies and doing great things. So, you know, that was just, a, I, I bought in the story, like, and I, we did tie to a pain point. Like we were struggling at that time to, to find new places to advertise that scaled. Um, we had, you know, we're in the, in the realm of, you know, hard, highly a PPC based business at that time and SEO web traffic. We were having a hard time getting more traffic um, without diminishing returns, significant more cost. And so this was kind of something that was out there. It was like, wow, this is new. This is innovative. Interesting. Um, and so it was perfect timing as far as that goes. Um, and that was an outbound outreach. You were obviously had a pain point already and served yeah. up some insight of how they could solve that pain point. They served up an insight. And I, I mean, it was one of those, ones. I, I think I got two emails from the sales rep roughly. And then I was like, this, this seems so intriguing. Like I'm sold on this story. You know? Interesting. So, so man, I got burnt, you know, I was, I was fairly young in my career at that time. And so uh, <laughs> a little more guard guarded, but you know, the other uh, time, and I would say this is very similar story is uh, I had a pain point. Um, this one was around identifying um, leads with that were already, you know, how do I score? How do I understand um, the quality of a lead? Not from first party, my own data, but from third party data. And it, it ended up uh, just connection at the right time, right? I had that problem, got the right inbound, great solution. That that one was a, um, a success um, in helping me understand who our, 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 our audience was at scale and being able to improve what what we passed on as, as a lead to our, to our sales team. Okay. So it sounds like in both instances where you purchased off of outbound, you were in the buying window. Nobody served something up so magical as Turner insight that like made you realize your business had this problem. You didn't realize you had. I, I had a pain point, but it wasn't actively, I didn't know what the solution might be. Right. So at the time for the, the lead example, you know, I, 
struggling to figure out like, well, how do we get a better understanding of what these leads look like? And I'm not talking demographic data like this is how do I have a more holistic understanding of who that company is, who the buyer is, et cetera. And I, I didn't really know how to solve the problem. So when I was delivered insights and someone started that relation, that conversation with me, um, it was appealing. Right. And so they, they, okay. they, they, led with, they led with insights that were related to a current challenge I was having which I think is that's still doable today. Right. And, you know, both, both times it was not a blanket, just, you know, here's my thought leadership PDF that was sent to me. It was personalized towards, here's what we know about you. Here's your web traffic. Here's what this looks like. This looks like, here's how I think we can help you, you know, storyline. And I think it does it warrant, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of your time for a conversation. Um, and that's how the relationship started. Very good. So let's look at both of those instances or either one, it doesn't really matter and talk about as your curiosity moved into legitimate interests, how much did you lean on the sales rep to inform you throughout that process versus you going back to what you said earlier around relationships and starting to vet things out impartially? Yeah. Example one, I, I relied on the sales rep a lot. It was a new product offering. There wasn't peer review to be done. Um, and so it was a little bit of trust. Trust me, I'm in sales. Um, you know, uh, uh, reality. But the second instance, you know, was definitely, uh, I was able to ask for like customers, reach out to my network and to have discussion with customers and understand like, well, is, does this work? You know, is this, um, how is it working? How are you using it? Right. Does it apply to this use case? And while my use case was different, than many of my peer group, uh, it had enough similarities to um, connect there. So the sales rep, obviously it was, they were feeding me information and then I was challenging validating it. Um, that largely goes back to my personality. Something you should know about me. My mom has a sign. I grew up on a ranch and she has a sign in her, her kitchen that says, trust everyone, but brand your cattle. And so uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's a kind of a philosophy I've always uh, lived by is like, you know, trust, but validate. And so, um, you know, that was validating that sales rep uh, throughout the other network. So a lot of trust put into the sales rep in terms of like, lead me down the path, right? Teach me the questions to ask, to even guide me to who I should speak with. That's interesting. So it really, I'm going to go from kind of a narrow zoom out here based on what you're saying, because I think it impacts how organizations should think about how they go to market. So in your first example, this was a first to market type of offering. Typically when you are a category creator, you require a lot of education in your sales cycle, right? And Correct. if you are in your second example, you're dealing with something was a bit more mature and there were validation points through relationships, through third party, maybe Gartner reviews or whatever it may be. That's a fundamental difference in terms of how a company might go to market, right? If you're this first mover category creator. Right. I think that's the thing is more uh, as a marketer, I want to think about how I support this sales process. Those I have to remember, like if I have the right customer, they want to buy this product. They want to win with the product. Right. So I'm looking for the path to win, right? I'm looking for a reason to say, yes, I want to believe once I've engaged with you that this is going to work. Um, and so how do I go down that path, right? Like, how do you guide me down that path? 
to this is how this is going to work for you and give me confidence that this is the, the solution that I should be choosing. You know, there is skepticism just because, you know, particularly if you're in technology sales today, right? Where everyone's bought technology that has not worked. But at the, at the end of the day, if, if someone's in a conversation with you, you have to remember they joined for a reason and that's because they're hoping this solves some need that they have. And so they, they want to say yes. We just got to find out what those guardrails are and how we guide them to that. Yeah, I really like that perspective. You're right. Like they want to say yes, they want to win at the end of the day, yes. right? We all have that as, especially if our job is on the line, we want to be good at it. And you're thinking this technology is going to enable us to be better at it. Right. Unless so, you trick me to come into the meeting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there to win. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. So I, that brings me to another interesting topic on, in terms of finding the right fit. You've said that several times, right? If this is the right customer, they want to do it. They want to win. So, uh, you know, oftentimes we talk about targeting being the key to marketing and selling no matter what, how far down that rabbit hole should you, or do you need to go when you think about the concept of, okay, here's our total addressable market. It's the widest part of the funnel. We bring that down to maybe uh, an ideal profile of a, of a customer or a client or whatever. And then that creates some market segments. And then from there, we've got, you know, different use cases or personas that we might drill into. Mm-hmm. How far down that rabbit hole do you need to go to be successful? Uh, well, it's, it's, not a one and done. That's, I think, the biggest misconception is Absolutely. that you know, we, we do start broad and we do that to gather market insights typically, right? And to understand like who is going to engage. And if you're newer in offering, you have to test things uh, to see, see where the fit is. But as we, we, we narrow that down, like I think it's at every, every stage, there's a validation point and they're not always purely a data point in our CRM. Sometimes it is the sales rep just has to ask the question, well, why wouldn't this person buy from us, right? And if you look at it and take off our rose-colored glasses, we'll see that there, there's a hundred reasons why they, they're they not going to buy from us. And if those aren't things that we can guide them to win with through, then we probably need to move on um, or look for a new champion um, or look for some way we can solve those reasons. Um, and so the... Reality is, I don't think you're you're ever really there in terms of solving as an organization. Um, it just it, it always just gets more and more refined in terms of, and then sometimes broaden when you bring new solutions to the market. And now we can say yes to something we did we said to no earlier. But it's mostly with just being honest because what I find most organizations try to do is they want this lar- largest addressable market, and part of this is fed right from when. You know, we start doing our business plan. We write up like, here's how big the market is and here's how huge our company is going to be rather than focusing on that narrowness that's going to actually provide us the value today to that customer that wins. The problem when customers start to or when we start to broaden that and we, we go too wide is we dilute the value we deliver and both in the sales process and in the value our product delivers. And then when I come back and I validate uh, who your customers are, like, should I buy your solution? I get it. Eh, it's okay. Right. Um, and so this is the meat of everybody, uh, you know, that we can do everything for everyone uh, mentality and the dilution of your brand and your positioning that that effect has. So I think it starts with being honest, be authentic. And uh, who are you really? And um, can you deliver on what it is you're, you're selling today? Yeah. Trying to be all things to all people means you're nothing to no one. Exactly. All right, Daniel. So 
seems simple, but it's harder to do in real life than. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about what it takes to win in times of uncertainty. I took three takeaways from our conversation today. The first was the understanding of the customer at the highest level, right? What is their problem and how can we help them? The second is think process and not people. We tend to overreact and make heads roll instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror from a process standpoint. What are the things that we can improve to enable the people in a better way? And then the third is relationships matter. Through all of these things, no matter what's going on, those relationships are the things that can pull you up, help you validate, be proof points, or even help you find checks and balances for what are the things that you should be doing to improve, to focus on your customer, to improve your process. Anything else you'd add to that list? No, I think, I think you nailed it. I think, uh, you know, the one thing I'd add last is, uh, you know, everyone's looking for a tip, a trick, a hack. Like, what do I walk away and go do today? It's focusing on that, the customer. Uh, there, there's a hustle mentality as well. How am I going to focus on just getting relentless about the right customer? Focus on that process, uh, to deliver and focus on those relationships. And I'm going to just work hard at that every day and you'll win. Awesome. So real quick, before I let you go, what are you up to today? What the hell is a VP principal at Shift Paradigm? What is that? What do you do? Yeah. So my job at Shift Paradigm is uh, really helping our enterprise customers understand the market that they play in and how they should be thinking about their marketing strategy, technology, and process um, to deliver in in today's climate. Um, And so overseeing those engagements and uh, helping uh, them have a view across what is going on in the world. All right. Well, obviously a natural fit for the topic today. Thank you for doing that. And where can everybody find you? Should they want to reach out, talk, not sell you anything, but just uh, talk to you about winning in today's climate? Uh, Love to hear um, ideas on how we can win, but uh, LinkedIn, you can find me, Daniel Gogler. Should be, there's not too many of us uh, under that. Not too many of you out there. All right, Daniel, thank you for joining the show. For those of you who like this conversation, love listening to me, love listening to Daniel, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider that helps us widen our audience. And we appreciate it. Until next time, this was Love Selling, Hate Sales.